Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be discussing Fulham's tough time on the tune as two treacherous touches from our Tasmanic target man took a trio of points off our terrific tally. A 1-0 defeat up on Tyneside, Meechro's late penalty and the five wins in a row comes to a crashing end. But it was a performance to have some pride in. We far from disgraced ourselves against a very, very strong side. Here to discuss everything that happened yesterday up in the northeast is Dan Cook. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Jack Kelly. Hello. Hello. And Don Betts. Hello. Hello, mate. All three of you ventured up to the northeast, the long trip um, from the pre-pod chat. I feel like you all had slightly different uh, experiences, slightly different levels of alcohol uh, consumption. Uh, Dom, I'll start with you. Uh, how was your trip up to Newcastle? Yeah, it was good. Uh, we went to Carlisle Newport on the Saturday. So, got- What was the score? Uh, 2-0 Carlisle. I was annoyed because I, 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 back, I backed uh, Carlisle and both teams to score. So I was like, can they just get a last minute goal? consolation and get 50, get 50 quid coming in but no yeah went up to there got like the half eight train up to Carlisle uh, watched Manchester Derby and Carlisle went to the game and I've probably got into Newcastle about half seven then was out till about three and then was back in the pub by 11 so class Dan how was yours as presumably slightly more civilized trip to uh to the northeast I had a lovely trip so I mean it was quite on brand I imagine but you know went up with my parents went for a lovely Indian had a couple of drinks with Jordan and Zoe, who make our merch. Went to the seaside Sunday morning and went to the game. It was lovely. Wow. And Jack? Yeah, no, I ventured up on, on my own, actually, um, on the train. Had a, uh, a nice uh, New York deli sandwich and some uh, M&S cocktails <laughs> alongside a Cobra. Um, but I... I- <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny. But he I, just um, loves talking about what sandwich he had all t- all the time. <laughs> uh, bumped in. I was actually sitting with a load of Fulham fans actually on my train, which was really good. Um, some some old school Fulham who were really good company, and then yeah, met some uh, people walking to the ground, and then went to the ground and had a had a conversation with a load of friends and went and watched the game. Wonderful. There and back in the day is uh, is a long yeah, haul. That was tough. That was tough to take. Also, you had to go to Brentford this weekend as well, which uh, makes it even tougher. I did go to Brentford, Bournemouth, and usually I really enjoy doing, um, well, covering games at any level, but um, I didn't really enjoy myself on Saturday evening for some reason. Maybe it's because Ivan Tony, who maybe should or should not be playing, scored another goal. Yes. Uh, speaking of Ivan Tony, I particularly enjoyed uh, Gary Lineker's little joke on uh, mm. Match of the Day where he said, uh, oh, you would have put your house on uh, Ivan Tony to score from the spot. So he probably did. Uh, then he had to kind of backtrack and say allegedly. allegedly. Um, Dan, what were the best three word reviews that came in after our late defeat yesterday? We had quite a few. Uh, there was uh, Fulham 1000 and many others with something along the lines of Metro off pens, which I'm sure we're going to discuss. We had Ross McSweeney with too many touches, John Brooker with two feet defeat, Mr. Lombard with points slipped away. There's a big theme here. Uh, Jakob Krupa with peak Fulhamish experience, which is exactly what I was thinking, actually. And Tristan Potchericic with cheating ref twat. There we go. <laughs> Say it like it is, Tristan. Right, let's get into um, the game. And Jack, I was 
fully expecting a comprehensive defeat yesterday. Not because I don't think Fulham are fantastic at the moment, but you, you, you felt like the situation, the fact that it was so close after that magnificent Chelsea win, you thought it was going to be a little bit after the Lord Mayor's show. But I guess what hadn't factored in is that it was also a little bit after the Lord Mayor's show for Newcastle as well, after the high of their cup win on mm. Tuesday. And that was such a big deal for them. It doesn't sound like a big deal getting to the Carabao Cup semi-finals, but I think for Newcastle, it was a particularly big deal and a monkey off their back. And now they're favourites for a cup. So actually, both sides went into this, not really sure how to approach it. And, and it was a cagey opening without many chances. It wasn't a massively high quality first half, was it? No, and I think obviously both teams playing a midweek, it's going to be a sluggish game. It's not going to be all guns blazing. Obviously, we only had you know two days, three days rest and Newcastle had a couple of days more, which obviously Marcus Silva wasn't happy about whatsoever. And and to be fair, we, we kept the ball well in spells, but but in terms of creating chances, we did struggle. We did get into the final third a few times. Um, Bobby Dee could over him and Willian down, down the flanks, but struggled to find Mitrovic and that was a real concern. Mitrovic, especially in the first half, was completely isolated and couldn't get into the game at all. And I thought that Newcastle actually made small opportunities out of nothing, really. And Callum Wilson was a real handful. Um, the way in which he turned into the box, got a couple of shots away, forced Leno into some saves. And obviously, Fulham fans were nervous about Live Akazoa playing at left-back ahead of, obviously, the suspended Robinson. And um, and it was interesting how we how we broke back into a back five out, out possession. So Bobby D. Goodeverid was sort of, again, helping out at, at left back and, and again showing his versatility which um, it, it's extraordinary what, what he does for this team but um, yeah it, it was a nervy first half and not much in it between the both, both teams um, Dan it reminded me a bit of a hockey match both sides really wanted to use their right hand side um, our right hand side was pretty effective with uh, Tete Willian and Reed, and obviously their right hand side with Almoron and Trippier up against Kazawa who was he must be sick to the back team for playing Newcastle if he never has to play Newcastle again I think he'll be quite <laughs> relieved um, yeah that left side was a bit of a struggle for us we missed Anthony Robinson uh, a lot and whilst I thought Kurzawa was impressive at Hull um, this this wasn't an easy test for him. No, I thought Almiron and Trippier combined brilliantly down that right-hand side. I thought they caused us real problems. And there was clearly an instruction that Bobby was there to to look after Trippier and, and Kazawa to focus on on Almiron. But I think it just didn't work at times. I thought their movement was was really good as a pair down that flank. And I think that's also a the exact reason why we struggled going forward down the left is because Bobby was so deep at all times trying to deal with that threat that there was no outlet that way. And the few times we did get up there, I thought Trippier handled him really well. I thought he was he was brilliant all game. It, I th- would we have had the same problems with Ant there? If, probably not. I think there are times when you allow that, that sort of the winger or the fullback space out wide and back yourself to get there to close him down and Ant would be able to with that extra pace he's got. But I thought at times... Because I looked a bit sluggish, he, he, he struggled to get out quickly enough. I don't think he was necessarily all bad. I thought he was relatively fine, and ultimately, we didn't concede from those situations that Newcastle created out wide in the first half. But I think that was more down to their poor delivery rather than our good defending. Although Issa Diop was brilliant, I thought, especially in that first mm. half, I thought he was so so good, and he's looking like a really really good signing. And I think West Ham have, have ballsed up pretty big time letting him go and, and bringing in Tilo Kera. 
Yeah. Um, Dom, I was actually going to come up to D- uh, East D up for you. So um, nicely done there, Dan. I thought he was magnificent in that first half. And it is quite weird how even yesterday, West Ham fans on Twitter um, having a go at Diop for the fact that we conceded the goal. It's like, well, A, you clearly didn't watch the match because I'd say he was, him and Leno between them, were one of the men of the match. And I think he's been fantastic for them. And also uh, maybe concentrate on your own defense at the moment, West Ham. You're in the, you're in the bottom three. Um, stop, stop worrying about what we're doing in sixth. Yeah, I didn't see that on social media until I had a look uh, today. I found it slightly strange. And I mean, if you're going to blame any centre-back for the goal, it probably would have been tossed, as opposed to D up anyway. So, yeah, yeah no, I think, I think it was uh, sublime yesterday. On a, you know, I think the, the, the goal at the end, I mean, I feel like I've seen us losing the last minute to Newcastle nearly every time I've been there. I think there was the Papi Cisse one in 12-13, like the 93rd minute. I think the Ben Arthur one in 13-14 was pretty late when he scored that screamer. And then it happened again. So, uh, yeah, very much deja vu. But, yeah, and I thought Deal was um, very, very good yesterday. And, you know, I've, I've sort of been... I'm not saying I haven't been, haven't been convinced by Deal. But obviously, he's not played as much as we maybe thought he would have at, when he signed him at the start of the season. But I think in, since Qatar... And since obviously the Premier League resumed, I think we've seen a lot more of Diop and a lot more what we can expect. So I remember when he had that nightmare debut was it against Crawley in the League Cup when everyone was like, what have, what have we signed here? But no, yeah, I thought, thought it was brilliant yesterday. I think, so we, we mentioned it earlier, I, I think yesterday's game deserved a nil-nil. <laughs> I think it was the easiest way to describe it because yeah, yeah both teams were quite cagey in, in the way they played throughout the whole 90 minutes, not just the first half. And I, I don't really remember either keeper really having too much to do throughout the whole game. So it was gotten to lose the way we have, but I think because we've done it away at Newcastle so many times, I'm kind of just immune to it now. But you know, yeah, Diop, I thought was uh, great yesterday. Yeah, you actually look back at our record against Newcastle at St. James's and, and you're right, Dom, there is a huge sense of deja vu. I just feel like I've seen that match quite a lot of times, either late winners. And actually, the only result that really stands out between... Fulham Newcastle at St. James's Park going back like 11, 12 years is the time that we won 3-1 where where Sessegnon was, was electric and Kearney sort scored that scream. That's the only one that like either way hasn't either finished like nil-nil, one-all, 1-0 to one of the teams. Like, yeah, it, it felt very reminiscent of uh, trips to St. James's Park um, before Jack. But obviously this is a hugely different Newcastle now and it must have felt kind of mad not to be going up to Newcastle when they're all just angry with their team and mad at Mike Ashley. There seems to be more flags than people in the stadium. I mean, it does look impressive. How was it from the, uh, from the away end, which also was impressive as well from the telly. I could clearly hear the Fulham fans and, and to sell out like we did. I was like, wow, quite, quite something for Fulham. This was my third time to Newcastle and um, you're right. The, the atmosphere's compared um, to, to the last times I've went. It's so different this time. There was a sense of optimism. The uh, Five, ten minutes before the game, the pre-match music, everyone waving their flags, like you say, like a real... I mean, obviously, they're in the top three. They're in the, 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 the top of the table, really. And, and it's just an incredible feel-good factor um, around, around the place. And what I was talking to my friend about after the game was you go into London and with London, you've got so many different clubs, so many different you know the tribalism is in, is incredible you know chelsea arsenal liverpool liverpool chelsea well, arsenal i mean no, you're not wrong yeah well, yeah yeah <laughs> <Manchester> united <laughs> yeah they're chelsea, all quite big in london chelsea arsenal fulham west ham etc um whereas newcastle it's just newcastle it's the stadium and then it's basically the football and nothing else matters but yeah the atmosphere was good 
we made good noise despite probably 75 80% of the uh, of the of the away allocation being hung over it's just a shame to lose it in the last minute but you know if someone said you'd beat chelsea and lose in the last minute to newcastle i think everyone will take that you know we're still sick for the table just one thing on the away end and particularly the three blokes who were sat next or stood next to me sammy and a shout out to Levin Kazawa who has helped create a great new song that I'm here for. I don't think it will ever catch on, but I'm so here for it, which goes, here comes the hot stepper, Kurzawa. He's a lyrical gangster, Kurzawa. I think it's absolutely beautiful. It well, doesn't have- That song definitely came on in a nightclub there in the, the night before. And they were yeah, right. 100%. Where we fit into, where we fit into this set. <laughs> also, Leno, Burnt Leno to Yellow by Coldplay, I thought was very good. And it was all Leno. Very good. Brilliant. Okay, a few new this will catch on entries. Um, well, obviously, uh, here comes the hot stepper has has Fulham tradition because of uh, Ali G, and here comes the shopkeeper to Al Fayed. Um, so that's quite nice. The one that I still think is great for Levin Kazawa is Radio Gaga. All we need is Levin Kazawa, Kevin and Babu, but. Uh, that's the one that will never catch on, but whoever that that's the genius one for me for, yeah, I'm all, I'm, I'm here for new, exciting chance. feels like, um, there's a few going around at the moment. People are trying to come up with ones for people like Willian and Pereira and, and, uh, feels like, you know, it's maybe kind of this time of year. Once everyone's like four or five months into the season, everyone's settled. Everyone's like, okay, right, these guys need something, uh, where, where gold comes true. Yeah. You don't uh, want to be will- creating a really good jump for someone who's not that good or doesn't play that much. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, this will catch on returns on Thursday Club this week, uh, which is uh, super exciting. Um, let's come on to the moment of the match, the penalty. First of all, Dom, um, your thoughts on the awarding of the penalty was the wrong penalty awarded. Should Dan Byrne have got a red card? Yes, is the answer. It, it Honestly, it was like I had PTSD of the Mason Mount incident in the World Cup against France. It literally felt like the exact same thing. Like everyone knows it's a penalty. <laughs> You're just waiting for the ball to go out of play, the referee to go to VAR and give it. And then when it was given for the second one, I was like, what? <laughs> like, Did you guys have any idea? Because I was thinking this. Did you know it was for the Bobby Decker Dover Reed foul? Because how, yeah. I guess, oh, it does say foul against maybe on the no, screen. It, it was after it was given, it then showed the replay of what it was given for. Uh, and then there was a little bit of everyone was like, oh, <laughs> didn't think it was going to be for that one. It didn't really look like a pen. I mean, Dom, I must admit, from my first glance, I thought that the right decision had been made for the Bobby Decadover Reed foul. And the angle that they were showing on the screen and they were showing the referee was that one kind of the reverse angle, which uh, the, the kind of up high angle, sorry, where it looks like Trippier kind of takes his legs from underneath him. I think we can all be kind of agreed though, that well, decade over Reed treads on Trippier, but I guess the end result kind of works out the same apart from we didn't get a damn burn red card. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I, you know, if the, if the Bobby Reed incident is given against you, you're going to be fuming. Because um, it's really a fifty-fifty challenge or something. I just, I didn't, I just found it weird. They, it was just for that one instead of the Dan Byrne one. And as you said, if the Dan Byrne one gets given, it's a denying a goal scoring opportunity. And then when the penalty was given, I was like, when we get a penalty now, especially if it's in the second half, I'm just like, are we going to score? It was a bit like that season. Was it sixteen seventeen mm. when we missed so many penalties? And it feels slightly like I know Mitchell just scored a few this season. I think maybe four he scored this season. I think it's four out of seven. But I ever, I was like. 
I'm not I'm not that confident he's going to put this away. Then it does end up in the net and people will celebrate. And then the next thing I know, I look around and Newcastle have got a free kick. I mean, it's, I was saying to a lot of people in the ground and then like on the walk back out, it's, like, it's remarkable that we find new ways of being bad at penalties. <laughs> like, was just that, so I had a fun get a zero XG from a penalty in a game. Like, but we are finding new ways. But yeah, it was the whole the whole situation. You know, the the non awarding the penalty, then the awarding of the penalty, then the actual penalty itself is just well. That's the name of the podcast. So Fulhamish in the end. Yeah, one uh, of the things, Sammy, that I I find a bit ridiculous about it all for the Pereira penalty that wasn't given, and it reminds me of slightly niche, but the Scott Parker championship season when we played Bristol City at home I think it was Cabana who got brought down and this time it was Pereira and three Newcastle players all stopped playing because they were like oh it's a penalty like Andres Pereira's lying on the floor the ball's next to him and there are three Newcastle players just not going to ball because they're just waiting for the referee to blow his whistle mm. and they all knew it looked like such a pen from where we were and mm. I, I just everyone was just baffled and I just I don't understand how he can't see that from his position. Like he's, he's in a pretty good position there, Robert Jones, and he stops and then he sort of thinks about it and then he just tells Pereira to get up and it was really, really odd. It's just weird refereeing. Yeah. Mitrovic from the spot. We've got a ton of questions on it. Um, to be honest, we, we it was going to come up anyway. Um, Dom, I specifically remember you after Southampton saying, give him the next one. If he misses that, then maybe you need to look at it. So do we need to look at it? Yeah, but what, what I also found weird, I don't know, if, I swear Pereira picked up the ball. Yes, and looked he like he was going to be taking the ball. I, like, I was like, oh, Marcus Silva's has made the decision. Oh, Pereira's going to take this one. But then, and then Mitrovic then ended up with the ball. And then obviously what happened, happened. But yeah, I think I think so. I mean, considering we've had, we, he's missed three out of, is it three out of seven, I want to say. And like, you, you, need a, you need a clinical player from the penalty, you know. And all these penalties he's missed, bar probably... The Southampton one has cost us a result in the end. If 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 like a lot of the penalties are like when we've been three 0 up in games and he's missed, then you, yeah, you probably look at it. But I think because the what so we would have we would have got a win away at Wolves. We would have got either a, potentially a point or would have won yesterday. Um, so I think I think it's just because it's starting to sort of cost us results now, as opposed to and being consolation ones like the one against Southampton. So. I would be looking to change it. I'd be looking at Pereira or Willian. By Pereira grabbing the ball yesterday, I thought maybe he's in the next in line. But next time you get a penalty, I'm sure Marco Silva's going to be thinking it is time to change because <laughs> how 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 like how long do you leave it? I remember in, and in 16-17, I feel like we had three or four different takers because people kept missing them anyway. But yeah, I think the next one really needs to go to someone else because if you are missing nearly half your penalties, I don't think you can really be staying on them for too much longer. Yeah, I mean, Jack, he has scored... Um, according to Transfer Marked, 15 penalties in his career. He has missed seven. It's three out of three this season. And I still think that that one he scored against Aston Villa was as good as a miss for the fact that Emmy Martinez 100% should have saved it. Um, so where where do you stand? Is is it to move on to Pereira? Because my, my worry with taking Mitrovic off the penalties is that Mitrovic is, I still think sometimes wonder if his confidence is quite fragile kind of on a knife edge and I feel like it's the kind of move that I don't think will go down well even if he kind of says it is to Marco Silva that is going to be a dent to his confidence there's no doubt about it yeah you don't want to do that sort of thing to any sort of player given Mitrovic is such a big goal scorer for us but at the end of the day you look all the way back to when he's been at the club um, the penalty against Leeds at home when we won 2-1 under Parker 
terrible penalty, still manages to go in. Yeah. Um, the penalty against Sheffield Wednesday in lockdown, 5-3 win, slips, still scores, but again, unconvincing penalty. The one against Villa this season, the Bournemouth one this season was... I think okay. I think he, he sent it. I've got. I've actually looked back at all the penalties today, Jack. This see this season. I haven't gone back. Yeah, I've gone back since he started. I haven't got that much time on my Monday, but this season, um, Liverpool. Um, he went. I, the Liverpool penalty is a very good penalty, but still, he go- but he still makes Alice. I I still think he's he he makes it too too obvious which way he's going, and Alice yes. is just too sm- too slow to get down there. Neto against Bournemouth is the only keeper who goes the wrong way right. and, and, and he, and, and he has, so three of his penalties, he's gone to his left. If you include the fact that yesterday against Newcastle, he was trying to go to his left. Mm. Um, and three of his penalties have gone to his right. I mean, you look at some of the penalties as well, like even the Bournemouth one, not right in the corner Villa, definitely not right in the corner. The one against Southampton, he missed not right in the corner. He just doesn't get them in the corner, Dan. That's, I think that's the biggest problem. Like some penalty takers, Alan Shearer always comes to mind. His great technique was that he could get it in the corner. It didn't even matter if the keeper knew which way he was going. The keeper just couldn't physically get there. Yeah, but I think that's also like, there's there's a clear thing in there when you say three to the left, three to the right, is that he's not got a particular method, which means he must be easy to read because these goalkeepers are... The, the homework on him doesn't show anything particular in terms of like he always goes to his left or he, he likes going down the middle. It's this chopping and changing, which maybe is part of the problem, Sammy, is that, you know, he's not backing himself just to pick a corner. And and, and yeah, as you say, someone like a Shearer who was ridiculously good from the spot or, or like a Letizia just hitting spots where the keeper can't get it. But Mitro just seems to, he plays safe, I think. I think he he looks to try and make sure that he doesn't, go over so he keeps quite a lot of his penalties low I think it's a, a technique that's coming through at the moment which is very effective which is lifting it you know you're, you're aiming for the sort of the top third of the goal into the corners which keepers aren't going to save because they're not diving diagonally they, they tend to go low left or right whereas I think Mitro's worried and I think it was Chris Frank Cottage Analytica did a great thread on it where Mitrovic has previously spooned one over the bar and he thinks that there might be something in there that he just doesn't want to do that again. He's just focusing on hitting the target. But if all of this talk, I think you've got to be looking at taking him off it, surely. Just one other thing that I think is separate to this and it's not his fault. There's the slipping, you know, maybe you can talk about his technique, but I think that something needs to be done about whenever a penalty is awarded getting opposition players away from the penalty spot. It's ridiculous. It's unbelievable. And Fulham had two players stood on the penalty spot, stopping it being scuffed up. So what do they do? They just scuff up the area around the spot. I mean, it's it's insane. You book them all, it stops happening. But Robert Jones had no control over that game and it let the Newcastle players scuff up the whole area and that's why he slips. I just think it's insane that this is the thing that's allowed to happen. They spent two minutes delaying the penalty kick and also scuffing up the pitch. Yeah, I also saw a, a tweet, an interesting tweet from um, Harry Fremantle on uh, on Twitter, where he says, "Like, should we be looking at the rule? Like, it does seem a bit unfair that a slip, especially when it comes down to the fact that that's that's out of the control of Alexander Mitrovic in a way. Like, you could overwater that that pitch could be overwatered. Opposition players could have scuffed it up." Mm. I, obviously, the the rule of you can't hit it twice makes complete sense. Otherwise, a player could just dribble the ball and go closer to the goal. Like that's the obvious reason why you can't touch the ball twice. But 
there, there probably could be a caveat in the rule that if you just slipped or if it was all in one movement and it went in the net, that you can at least have a retake. That was, that was the mad thing to me. And it felt like, I guess you wouldn't have seen this on the, on the commentary. They thought it was going to be a retake. And yeah. so did even, um, uh, match the day commentator. I think that's Conor McNamara. I was like, oh, is it going to be a retake here? No, it's not a retake. It's, it's, it's an indirect free kick the other way. It felt um, incredibly harsh. I mean, um, there was a quite unscientific poll put up in our Fulhamish community um, late last night by Owen Thomas. Um, it was a thumbs down for Mitro staying on Penn Junty and a thumbs down for change. Um, I think you could say that about 70% went for time for a change and uh, the other 30 said a uh, thumbs up for Mitra staying on pen duty. So I wouldn't say if that's indicative of the rest of the fan base, that it's absolutely conclusive that we all want to change. Um, but you'd imagine now that the majority uh, are going to think that. Um, Dom, obviously 89th minute winner from um, Isak. Um, it felt like... I don't know what Marco's subs were trying to do there. He went to a back five. He took off Pereira, put Dan James on, and then went for Tosin joining the back five, which kind of works against Leicester. Um, not that you'll have known. You were too busy uh, watching nine darters um, at Ali Pali. Um, but yesterday, it just felt like it massively invited Newcastle onto us. Yeah, so I think as soon as Tosin came on, it sort of killed any any attacking outlets we were going to have. I think about oh, as soon as he came on, I feel like it was just Newcastle. If any team was going to score, it, it was going to be them. And obviously they, they got the, they got the goal from me, Zach, I think, you know, and I said, I, said, I, just, I just don't think, I know we're going back to going to five at back when we're trying to see out a game. I guess I understand what Silva's trying to do. I just don't, don't think it worked at all yesterday. I think it, it works for us when we're in the lead, not when we're trying to protect a point. I, I, I don't know. I, I just feel like we're actually, we're really good if, we, if, we're, if we're in the winning position and we need to see out a game. I think we're fairly good at that. But we're, obviously, all these all these last minute winners or losers, I guess you can say, we've conceded. It's it's happening. What the last minute against City, the last minute against United, the last minute against Newcastle. So I think maybe when we're trying to see out a game in regards for a point, I don't know, I don't know if the like the mentality of the players is different. But I do, as you say, I do think we were inviting on pressure from Newcastle and to be honest I, I think a lot of people in that away and yes they were like we're, we're, just, we're just waiting for the inevitable late Newcastle goal and they're, they're going to they're going to they're obviously get uh, 1-0 but I said I think a lot of people uh, aren't, aren't, weren't too bothered about this just because of what happened on Thursday and as you mentioned if you if you offered that again in the week I think everyone probably would have taken it um, so, it, so it was it was annoying I wouldn't say it was devastating <laughs> to an extent but yeah. I always looked at these this sort of run of games and I generally think the Spurs and the Chelsea game we are generally more likely to pick up points than, than this one this is the game I was looking at saying this is probably going to be the game where we where we don't get the result we want yeah that's actually a fascinating point there if you look at the whole season Jack um, you know there's five times now that we've conceded late winners, also kind of top five clubs. There's no massive disgrace in it, but we've maybe got to points in games where we're trying to hold on for a point and then it's not worked. As um, as, as Don mentioned, there's the Newcastle game, there was the two Manchester games, there was that Arsenal game um, earlier in the season. And then you look at, actually, when we're holding on to a lead, we haven't conceded a late equaliser to anyone. I wonder if there's something in the mindset, the mentality of this Fulham team that's so attacking, that's so brave, that can't quite accept, even when it probably, 
make sense to try and come away from a difficult ground with a point. They just can't get themselves into the mindset of we're hanging on for a point here because Marco Silva's kind of drilled into them like attack, 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 attack. Um, so there seems to be a, a common theme there, but also the common theme is good teams, you know, pressure tells and, and they're, they're good teams for a reason. Yeah. Uh, I think that the pressure that, that Newcastle put on us by bringing on the likes of St. Maximum and Isaac at the end of the game um, was an implication that they were really trying to get the three points and that we were clinging on. And we didn't, apart from obviously the penalty situation, we didn't offer much going forward whatsoever. So it was a case of let's just hang on for a nil-nil and, and we'll take a point and we'll still be five unbeaten in the league and six in all comps. But uh, when you go to a back five, you do invite pressure. We've seen it time and time again, not only with Fulham, but with other teams as well. Um, and the goal is unfortunate, I suppose. It, it, it's it's well worked. It's a good ball into the box um, and it's just quite unlucky and, and it falls to Isaac and he obviously puts it in. Um, Bit of ball watching, you could argue. <sighs> yeah, ball watching from, from Tosin um, and there's a, like a little deflection. It might have even been a handball. I'm not really sure. I haven't seen it enough to, to make a decision on that. But um, ultimately, you know, these games that we've lost, we've, lo- we've failed to score in three games this season, the Premier League, Wolves, Everton, and yesterday, two of which we've missed penalties in or, you know, scored, but then, you know, double hit, whatever. Um, And I think that's just enormous credit. We have to get enormous credit for that. And uh, I'm going to frustrate you guys now. I was listening to the Gary Neville podcast on the way home um, and they were talking about um, Arsenal and how amazing they've been in their new cast. And I was like, okay, okay, so when are you going to mention us? And then they said, oh, haven't Brentford been great? And Brighton, no mention of Fulham. Like, no mention. We're sitting sixth on the table above Brighton and Brentford. And uh, yeah, it's extraordinary. It's actually becoming a little bit of a joke now, how the mainstream media aren't giving us any attention. Even the Sky coverage apparently yesterday was Newcastle dominated. What have we got to do? We beat Chelsea and the whole story was about Felix. What have we got to do? Yeah, just on the goal, what I do think that it looks like Tosin's fault to me. And mm. I'd probably ask people to watch it back. And one of the things that he does, which I think is, is criminal and he really can't afford to do that, is he does stop. Like he actually stops in the six yard box and starts ball watching. And I guess there's an element of like, it's, it's a bit pinball-y, it, it breaks weird. But in that moment when he stops, Alexander Isak is on the move. And he slips in behind him into the back post. And I just think you can't afford to do that. And it, it is starting to concern me a little bit, his performances, because he just seems to switch off too regularly. And we saw it against Chelsea. I thought he was decent, but there were times when he lets runners get in behind him. He, he just doesn't seem to quite be tracking his men as well as Tim Ream and Issa Diop do. And I think they do seem like our best centre-back duo at the moment. And just in, on the, the substitution, a little bit of defence for Marco Silva is I'd maybe say it was a reaction to Isak being on the pitch. When you've got Isak and Callum Wilson up top against Tim Ream and Issa Diop, you sort of feel like you maybe need another centre-back in there. And I think that's that's where it came from. And there was a little bit of a shift, you know, because I was playing a little bit more advanced. So I don't think we completely nullified our attacking threat. But I think it was just a, a reaction to having the opposition having two centre forwards on the pitch, which I think is probably fair enough. The one that I'd 
maybe Bisset should have happened earlier. And I felt a bit ridiculous saying it, and maybe it's because he scored against Chelsea. But I wondered if Carlos Vinicius maybe should have come on for Alexander Mitrovic with a bit longer to go. Because I thought Mitro just didn't really offer very much yesterday. And he looked quite leggy. He looked tired. And I think at the very least, Vinny would have given us a little bit more running up top because it was just Andreas Pereira pressing for the 80 minutes he was on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think the scheduling of that game was always going to make life pretty tough, was always going to make the last 15 minutes particularly tough. And the fact, I think the way that the penalty got missed as well, just hugely swung the momentum against us. Like, I think if the penalty doesn't happen, let's say that just that, that instant never happens, nothing ever needs to be given or not given. I wonder if Fulham actually quite easily make the nil-nil happen, the momentum gets taken out, the crowd, etc. But that was as good as a goal for Newcastle. Their tails were massively up. And then, given the fact that they had that bit of extra fitness in the tank, it just, it felt like, oh God, we just got to hold on here because we're now massively up against it. The whole momentum just switched um, in an instant. Uh, we've got loads of great questions uh, related to some stuff from yesterday's game. So we'll take a break. We'll be back in a moment. This is an advertisement for BetterHelp, a portal for finding online therapy. What's the first thing you'd do if you had an extra hour in your day? Would you go for a run? Would you read more Fulham transfer rumours? Whatever it is, one thing that many of us have in common is wishing that we had more time. And therapy can be a place to help you work through what matters to you, so you can have more time to do it. Therapy is great for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the very best version of yourself. It's not just for those who experience major trauma. And if that's something you're looking for, that's where BetterHelp can come in. BetterHelp is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. They'll match you with a UK mental health professional with a wide variety of expertise. There's no referral needed and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge, giving you complete control over the whole experience. And Fulhamish listeners can get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish. That's betterhelp.com slash Fulhamish to get 10% off your first month. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Dan Cook, Jack Kelly and Don Betts. Loads of great questions coming in today. So let's dive right into some of these. Um, Neil Stewart says, does this loss to Newcastle matter? We're coming off the biggest regular season league win in years against a club that will likely qualify for the Champions League on two days rest and had chances to get a result. I say we look at the positives and move on. Jack, this feels like your burner account writing this. <laughs> This was my question and I'm going to answer yeah. it. No, um, the result doesn't matter whatsoever because it doesn't matter if we'd have lost, um, regardless if we would have lost 5-0 or 6-0, we would have been still sixth in the table, um, which is an incredible achievement in itself. It's nice to keep an unbeaten run going, especially going into a new year, so like in 2023, before yesterday we were unbeaten, but to lose 1-0 to a team, you know, who are, you know, like you said, going to be up there, um, it, it didn't hurt. For more than five minutes, I think I was talking to Dan on the way down those steps, and and then after that, I felt fine. Um, a bit frustrated, but 
these things happen. I think I was frustrated in the way in which that how added time went. I felt like added time, nothing happened. Mm. I also feel like if they didn't score in the 89th, there would have been at least another four minutes added on. <laughs> yeah. I it know did what you feel mean. like that. But this result for me was a little bit like, oh no, anyway, which is an extraordinary thing to feel in a Premier League season, considering last season, I felt like that towards the back end of last season when we when we lost to Huddersfield and drew to Bournemouth and, and lost to Forest. Just didn't care because we were going to go up anyway. And and right now I'm like, well, we need nine more points and we're safe. That's my mentality. Uh, a lot of, and this is so interesting, like the shift of mentality in the, in the, in the fan base saying, oh, we actually can get Europe. Well, let's just, let's just hold back a bit. If we finish 10th top 10, that's a remarkable achievement. Of course, it won't get acknowledged by the mainstream media though. And also, like, we do have to remember that like, we have played, like, two more games than a few, uh, you know, Brighton are one point behind us and they have played two fewer games. Um, Liverpool are three points behind us, played two fewer games. Like, we are not necessarily the front runners for Europe. Like, yeah. yes, we're in a great position. It's lovely to be sick. I think there's a chance. But, like, I- I'm still, as you say, Jack, 10th is, like, dreamland. Exactly. 10th is honestly yeah. dreamland for us. 10th and a cup run. Please, oh, yeah. I would give I would give my right arm for tenth and a cup run. Um, it's a good uh, question here for you, Dan. Romeo Dunn says, in hindsight, was five at the back the right choice, or would have an extra centre midfielder have proved more useful? Now I know we just discussed five at the back, but that was my feeling: is that when Pereira went off and Dan James came on, it, it felt like a lot of the midfield battle was was lost because he lost Pereira's scrappiness. I, I just thought it was Taylor mad for Kearney yesterday. Like his control in the midfield, he would have frustrated Newcastle. We'd have been able to get our foot on the ball, keep the ball. Uh, I, that was the sub for me that I thought Marco got wrong. Yeah. I was really surprised it didn't happen. It, I, I was speaking about it with, with my dad and, and a fair few other people around us just expected, you sort of expect that to be the substitution in that situation. I think when Fulham are looking to control a game and we're not too worried about the opposition or if we're looking to really attack, you see Kearney come on for Harrison Reed. In games where we're looking to retain that sort of defensive sort of rigidity and keep Harrison Reed's tenacity, you bring Kearney on for Andreas and you get a little bit more care on the ball and you don't, you know, you don't quite have the same pressing as Andreas, but but TC really does put himself about a lot more nowadays than he did at the very start of his Fulham career. He's, he's become a lot more tenacious in midfield. And so I'm surprised it didn't happen. It Maybe it's a, an almost overthinking it to an extent. Marco said himself that they had virtually no time to prepare for this game at all. And this, it felt like a little bit of a, a substitution that was trying to counter what Newcastle were doing without necessarily having the the backing behind that to know that's what they were trying to do. I think, yeah, fair enough. We would have kept the ball a little bit better. We were the goal comes from us giving the ball away carelessly as well. It's I see what Tim Ream's trying to do releasing Laven Kazawa, but it doesn't quite work, and it was uh, maybe an unnecessary risk. So yeah, but again, the same, it's one of these things where we were five minutes off a five at the back looking like a good decision. Mm. So, and that was really the only chance they fashioned. It was the only real clear cut chance they had in the, in the entire of the second half, I'd say, other than maybe one from a corner. So it's the favorite quote of five margins, isn't it? Like it was very nearly the right decision. I don't know if he deserves necessarily to be criticised for it because other, up to that point it did work. But yeah, probably wouldn't have done the same thing if we had the if we 
played those last 15 minutes again. Yeah, there's a lot of um, questions on the subs, Dom. So it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it too. FFC Dom says, did Marco get his subs wrong yesterday? Personally thought taking Pereira off was the wrong move. and Maybe Vinicius uh, could have come on earlier, especially considering the high he's on in Mitro's poor performance. Um, and Elliot Jeffords asks, in my opinion, Marco waited too long to make the changes in the second half. What does the crew think? So yeah, what do you think, mate? Yeah, I don't really think the subs worked as as we've been saying, really. I, you know, we, you talk about the Kearney substitution or not bringing Kenny on, bringing James on for prayer instead. I just don't really understand why, because we haven't really seen that before. And it's like, I, I just thought I should just stick to what's worked in previous games. And every time Kenny's come off the bench and has come into the field, obviously more for Harrison Reed as opposed to Pereira, he sort of gets us a bit more control of the ball. And with Pereira, as he's, as we, as you've been saying, you know, he was the only one really doing the pressing in, in the attacking areas for Fulham. And that's why I, I started, we lost sort of that energy in the front line as soon as he went off. And that's what invited the pressure on from, from Newcastle. So, yeah, he did get the subs wrong, but I mean, Marcus Silva's got so many subs right this season. I think he's allowed one game where he necessarily doesn't get the sins right. As as Jack's been saying, you know, losing this game's not a big deal. <laughs> you know, we've got the team who's a team who's in third place losing away to them in the last minute. It's not it's not the end of the world. You know, as as I said, I think Spurs at Spurs at home is a bit a big not necessarily a bigger game. You know, we're not in un, un, under any pressure or anything, but a, a game where we're more likely to get a result because you know Newcastle on such a high, especially after their win in in the cup qualifying for the cup semi finals. Whereas we're playing Spurs, Conte's under pressure. We're playing Chelsea. Pot is still going to be under pressure. He always, he always is, especially if they're still lingering in the table where they are. So. Yeah, it, it's. It, I think obviously the subs looking back and answer could have been better, but I think it's one of them where you just move on and we we look ahead to Spurs and Spurs and Chelsea now. I just want to say one thing on the reason we brought on Dan James, I think, and that was because um, he could press Dan Burn really aggressively, and I think the one instance he did that, um, it was in a foot race with Dan Burn to get the ball, and I believe. Dan Burn like muscled him off the ball and, and still got to the ball. So that was frustrating. But I think that was the thinking behind the Dan James sub. Yeah, I could see the kind of logic in it, Dan. Yeah. Like I, I could understand what Marco was trying to do. It just didn't really work, which I guess happens from time to time. Yeah, it does. I, the, the point about should they have happened earlier, I think is actually quite pertinent because we only played, we played on Thursday and it, it's sort of something we saw during those sort of lockdown seasons of managers complaining about tired legs, but not making substitutions. Like we, we, Marcus Silva was pretty pissed off that we were playing so soon afterwards, but he waited until the 77th minute to make that first change. And most of the players on that pitch had played on Thursday. So I do wonder if, you know, we did need a refresh, but it comes on to, and I think we probably have a question on it, the lack of depth we have in certain areas of the pitch. I think if we had someone who Marco trusted more than Nat Chalaber on the bench, we probably would have seen a substitution in midfield earlier. We just didn't have the right personnel to make it happen. Yeah, well, let's come on. I think I know which question you're talking about. Uh, HW Graphics says, Fulham are in the market for a new backup right back and uh, central defensive midfield cover for Polinia and Reed. Uh, Jack, if the decision was yours, realistically, who would you bring in in this window? Well, I think that... Cedric Suarez is is the one that has been linked um, the most hev- uh, heavily and, and a couple that got linked last week were dismissed by Marco anyway um, in his presser. So that would, for me, make the most sense. Apparently he's worked on De Silva before. He's out of favour, didn't even feature 
for Arsenal against Oxford, which is obviously a, a chance to play the fringe players. So that would be uh, my my pick. We've also been linked with a player from um, the Eredivisie in, in in Netherlands. I'm not quite sure of his name, but from from the compilations that people have seen, they said he looks the mustard. So we, we, <laughs> we should I look mustard on a compilation video <laughs> and I'm not uh, mustard. And I can tell you that much for free. Although I did score a hat trick last Tuesday. Just, just warning you. Sign up, Sammy. Um, and the central defensive midfield. I mean, we've been linked with Pablo Mai, but I think that can't be done until the summer apparently. And, and, and then Abdullah Decore, that's all gone quiet. So I can't sit here and, and, and actually pinpoint a name of which I, I'd like to bring in um, to central defensive midfield. Obviously, Paulini is such a mainstay and is, is one of our best players, if not our best player. So no one's going to come in and take his place per se. So it's going to be someone who's slightly fringe. I yeah, suppose. I think the, the one thing that Fulham have to work out what they want is whether it's a direct replacement for Paulinho or for Harrison Reed. Mm-hmm. I think, because they are different roles. And whilst they can both play each other's roles, I think you also need someone who can drop in there. And personally... I think we probably need someone in the mould of, of Joao as opposed to Harrison Reed because I think Andreas Pereira can probably fulfil that Harrison Reed role. But I don't know if we have anyone who can do what Joao does. I mean, we're not going to get anyone in who can do it to the same calibre, but we need someone of a similar profile, I think. Do we just think that like Nat Chalaber is like that? Because obviously he is the obvious replacement and we do have him. Like, I know he had an absolute mare against Newcastle. I mean, Dom, I, I must admit, I didn't love the reaction when he came on against Chelsea, particularly when we were like, we were 2-1 up. I, I thought it was a bit, all a bit unnecessary. Like, mm. And no one booed him per se. It was very just like audible groans. And I'm sure like that came across. Um, sometimes I just think on these things, when you're looking for a backup, like... It's tough to find a backup. We do kind of have one. He had one terrible match against Newcastle and another terrible game against Crawley, you know, and, and Crawley was unforgivable in lots of ways. But sometimes I just think like there's an obsession with always trying to sign someone new. We do mm. have one. Yeah. Um, I, but I, I think it's, it's a similar situation we have with Vinicius and Mitrovic. Like they, they know they're not going to be playing week in, week out. They know they're there as cover or to be an impact substitution off the bench. So bringing in someone in like Pablo Maia or Almazrati is going to be hard because they know they don't have the guaranteed playtime. I know you can always go, oh, but you know, you could be a starter in the future kind of thing. But yeah, it's hard. Um, and you know, how, really, how often do we we do we substitute Palinha? You know, we're more likely to take off Harrison Reed or Pereira in that midfield. In the if you look at them as a midfield three, as opposed to Palina. So, how much game time are they really going to get? And without that promise of game time, how why why would they come really? Unless they used to being a cover player where they're playing right now, a bit like how we you know Cedric Suarez isn't playing at all for Arsenal. So, you know, if he came here, he'd be getting more game time regardless. But yeah, I think it, it is always hard, especially especially if if you are someone like. Kearney, for example, you know you're going to be coming on. But if you're a number six, for example, you're not. You, you might not. You might not play. You may make one substitute appearance every four or five games if we need. If we need to bring someone on, so I think it's always hard. And I think you're right. People, you're all people are always looking for the next signing, the next player we're going to bring in. And I just think it's it's you can't just go out there and get one. It's not like playing FIFA football manager where you can just go scout. Oh, I'll bring him in, and Oli, I want him to talk to me. He's moaning. He's on the bench all the time. So I think it is hard, especially when it's such an important role in the team as well. Yeah, it's it's tough to like recruit and like 
you might find the needle in a haystack. I feel like Vinicius was that needle in a haystack, was a striker that was kind of willing to be a backup to Mitrovic. But it's tough when you have such defined roles in this and when the spine is so strong. And to try and find someone that wants to be backup to Jao Polina, it's not. And, and when, when it feels like there's a dearth in Europe of central defensive midfielders, generally, like it's a tough position to find. Um, you know, there's only about three in England um, that, are of, that are of any quality. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 tricky. One more question that I like here from uh, That's So Craven, the That's So Craven podcast, Fulhamish's Australian equivalent. Uh, definitely listen to them. Uh, add them to your podcast roster if you haven't already. Um the Twitter account for that podcast asks, is Solomon part of the first 11 once fit? And if so, should he be getting more minutes now? Felt like the game was screaming out for a bit of spark and I'd have loved to see him come on against Newcastle. Jack, I'm curious as to what exactly we're doing with Solomon because he also didn't get a chance in the cup. Feels like maybe the Sunderland game in a few weeks is a perfect opportunity to give Solomon a, a full 90, um, perhaps. Like, we... Yeah, it feels like we. I, I really want to see him. I really want to see what he can do. I can understand the desperation. I mean, I, I am the same. I really want to see him play. And I, I do think that Sunderland game could be the one. Um, I just think that Silva might be erring on the side of caution because of the nature of the injury that he got. Um, to, to rush him back and play a full 90 could be quite risky, which is why I think he came off the bench against Hull for, for 10 or so minutes. And yeah, you, you could argue that yesterday he could have easily come on and, and caused some issues. But... The, the original question, is he part of the starting eleven when fit? It's it's an impossible question to answer because we haven't seen enough of him. He's He was injured after the first game and hasn't featured and we're now in January. Um, and obviously now Bobby D- decoyed over Reed and, and Willian are so settled um, in, in that starting eleven that it's very hard to sort of break into that. Um, I'm not sure. I guess we'll just see when we see really. And I really hope he plays 90 against Sunderland and and, and sticks a couple of goals in their um, in their fucking go hole. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I wasn't expecting that. It's only when really partridge. <laughs> <laughs> what I was going to say, Sammy, is that I think the reason why we didn't see him against Newcastle was because I think he probably would have come on the left, mm. and Bobby was on for the specific reason of dealing with Kieran Trippier for most of that game. Yeah. So I think that's why we didn't see him. If in terms of trying to provide any insight into whether he's good enough to be our starting winger. I th- the, the biggest thing that I saw that I really like and it has given me a lot of optimism is that I remember seeing a few bits of Fulham players talking about the squad and they seem to really like Manuel Solomon in terms of his actual footballing ability, speaking about his quality on the ball, his dribbling. So I think there, there's a an appreciation of him within the squad, which is always a good thing. And so I think we will see him as a first choice winger. The only problem is, is he going to have enough time for us to make a decision as to whether we make this a permanent signing or not? That's the worry is that we're only maybe going to see what 15 league games, maybe if you you take into account that we're still waiting a little bit longer. And is that enough to judge whether we should sign him permanently, considering it will take him Mm. probably four or five games to really hit his stride as well. God, I forgot he's not permanent. I yeah. forgot that whole fiasco in the summer. Yeah. I just put that to the back of my brain. Wow, but, maybe but, maybe now we need to give him an eight and a half year contract. Like, <laughs> maybe he won't sign for us unless we literally get eight and a half years out like uh, our, our friend, our, our not so much friends down the road did for Mudrick. Well, Sa- Sammy, I was going to say, aren't we just in a fortunate position right now where I would say, I think we are going to stay up. I think we're 150 to go down. I, th- I think that 
we might, we probably will stay up. So we're, we're in a position now where we can sort of start making these decisions early uh, about Manuel Solomon. And I know he hasn't featured very much this season at all, but he is one for the future. He's still very, very young. And I think that it probably is worth, you know, if we see him for the remainder of the season, paying that money and actually having him as a permanent signing because likes of Willian are getting on a bit. We don't know if he's going to sign for next season. Um, Harry Wilson's been a little bit off the boil. Um, Bobby Decordover-Reed, yeah, he's starting signing extensions of 2024, but he will be a wide option we may need next season, whether that's in the championship, which I don't think is going to happen. So so then it's the Premier League, which is fantastic. Can we can we bring back when, not if? I really enjoyed that last season and I'm very much of a when we stay up as opposed to if, just like when we get promoted. Brilliant. Can we bring that okay. back? Yes. Um, uh, Jackie, when or if? Uh, if, I think. I, I, I can't do it. Joe Santos said it the other day and I, I just, I couldn't agree with him. Not, not yet. Yeah, I'm if. When? When? <laughs> Dom? Anyway, it's, it's when we qualify for the Conference League. Very good, very good. No, I, I am pretty confident, but mm. um, it's, it, it's, easy, it, it's, it's a little bit easier to be confident of this than actually last season because obviously trying to like stay at the top, you were like, well, if we lost like, five games in a row, which is, you know, completely plausible at any time, then you might blow up. But right now it would take such a monstrosity, that's not a word, uh, bad um, second half of the season, which is possible. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I am getting confident, but I'm, I, I'm still scared to, uh, to say it. Final question from our friend, Ben Jarman over in Canada. Everyone can chip in on this. What's your subway order? <laughs> Jack, I well, feel like you should kick us Subway's off as, not something, our... something I dabble into too, too often. I'm actually uh, not eating any sort of like fast food at the moment. Um, oh, what is that like a January thing? No, it's just it's just how long I can go. January? Um, or... <laughs> no, like the whole year, like genuinely. Um, so like... Where do you draw the line of fast food? Well, like... that's an, well how long have you got? Because that's an interesting question. Because I thought the pie I had yesterday, which was after the game was slightly risque but um i asked my like my parents and they said i think that's going to be fine i'm talking like your kfc your subways your mcdonald's your, your, your curries after a defeat so like you know just just be what sensible about, what about two meal deal sandwiches well two meal deals is interesting because it depends on sort of what your snack is if you get like a fruit and like a smoothie i think you're fine whereas if you get crisps and then you get a coke obviously yeah no fizzy drinks as well that's also a thing um but anyway subway mm. This feels a bit mean now that you've just said all that. Well, no, it's you fine. Maybe because, you take a rain check on the subway. Well, I can think about it. I, I can touch, but no, I, I can, I can like I go into okay. a store. I went to McDonald's the other day because my brother was in there and I smelt the food, but I wasn't even tempted to order. So, you know, anyway, subway order, hearty Italian, six inch or foot long, probably foot long. Um, meatballs, meatball marinara. It's just, just, just good. Yeah. Jalapenos, lettuce, onion, sweet corn. Jobs are good. In. Dan? Not massive on the subway, but if I was going, I would go steak and cheese, I'd say. That would be my my go. I, I, like something that's heated up and toasted a little bit as opposed to just a really cold throughout sandwich. 
Dom, thoughts on Subway? I, you know, I don't eat, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, I've asked the wrong people here. Jack's given up, Dan doesn't go, and Dom doesn't Dom doesn't eat. I've picked the worst three people to review Subway. Jarman, ask, ask a better question next time. Um, what's mine? Uh, all I know is hearty Italian bread is the way to go. Mm. Hearty Italian bread is the bread of choice. Anyone that has anything different, I'm slightly wary of them as a person. Scared of them, yeah. Retweet, retweet. Right, okay. I'm glad we're all on that um, wavelength. Probably just like chicken with some melted cheese and hearty Italian bread, though. You can't go wrong. Right, that'll do for the podcast today. Um, Dan, what would you like to name it? I really did like Tristan Potrich's one, but we can't go with that. So I think we'll go with Ross McSweeney's because I thought it was very smart. Too many touches. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you went with that. That was the one that that stood out. Uh, Well done, Ross. Hope you're well. Uh, he's a good lad over in America. Uh, right. And thank you very much for listening today. Uh, Fulhamish will be back uh, for the Thursday Club. Myself, Jack Peter, previewing that Spurs game. Feels eminently winnable. Feels so winnable. And what I like about this point of the season now is because things are quite comfortable, we just get to go into games and have a lot of fun. Like that's that Spurs game next Monday just feels fun. Yeah. You know, they really need to win. They're desperate to get in the Champions League. We're we're like the loose horse at the national right now that could just ruin anyone's season at any one time. Um, but could win the race as well, just on its own. Mm. Um, no one is expecting it to, and no one's talking about it, as Jack says. So I'm I'm very excited about that. And it'll be the return of this will catch on. Thank you very much to my guests today, Dan Cook. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sammy. Jack Kelly, thank you. Thank you, Sammy. Don Betts, thank you. Pleasure as always, mate. We will be back in the week. Until then, have a good one. In your eyes. You would.